deeper down the rabbit hole. Saturday, 6 p.m., live in Toronto, Ontario, at the Queen City Curio Occult and Spiritual Store. We are here at the Queen City Curio and Apothecary live again, as usual, because live radio is where it's at, my friends, not podcast. Believe it or not, live radio is where the shit happens still, still. And eventually, like we said, we keep saying every week, we're working on getting on live, actual live radio with the podcast. I mean, actual live radio through Toronto College Radio, probably, but we'll still try to get a live show. Why? Because more live stuff happens. That's where we come from. That's where we've been. And that's the future, my friends. Podcasts are too easy to modify. Take out the bad parts. Take out the good parts. Instead, with live radio, live you get what YouTube you get. channel, back to it. You get what you get, which is important because it's like weird stuff happens and we love it. We love it. So we are at 607 Gerard Street East, in case you're wondering. And it's the first time. This is Queen City Curio podcast. The video, Well, videocast. The podcast is still... You know us. You love us. We've been here for like five years, maybe more, deeper down the rabbit hole. Yes, we have. Yes, we, yes have. we have. Yes, we have. We have. Today, we have a guest that we have met several times in person at Convocations in the fine Motor City of Michigan. Many, many times, although, although, which is next week, although this, I'm not going to be there this year. But, you know, if everyone wants me back, just invite me. I'll come back. Like, so... Hopefully by then COVID is under control more, <laughs> um, or at least I've lost a hundred pounds, so I don't care if I get it. There you One go. Two. There you go. There. Motivational messages there for myself. But we've been there. We've had, we've had the today's guests today on the show several times. Not only that, we've seen them in person several times. Sometimes we've even actually broken bread together. Yeah, we can come back a long ways, like a long ways. <laughs> Like over 10 years, like maybe 15 years, I think. Yeah, it's a crazy long amount, actually, now that I think yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have not been as successful this year at writing books as Jason has, who has written like three books this year. Like uh, with maybe I just need book partners because I noticed a lot of your new books, they have book partners. It's true. Yeah. But I mean, still, this book, this is the latest one that came out in December. That's the latest one. Yes. That's the latest one. It's still like I still wrote half of it, and it's about three hundred pages. So I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of book work, you know. Yeah, it is yeah. actually, <laughs> and that's exactly what we're going to talk about now. Now, in case you don't know who Jason Mankey is, he is known throughout I don't know everywhere for doing Dionysian rituals, and pan like rituals. everywhere, and pan and, rituals, and rituals. Yeah. Yeah. So Dionysus and pan rituals everywhere. They're like. Across the world, pretty much. I think that's true at this point. Across the world is a pretty big statement, but, you know, a lot of places. You got, I at least have remembered you doing occasional Canadian events, so you're at least international. That's yeah. I did. I have done those rituals in Canada, so international. So U.S. and Canada. And I've done book signings in London. But, I mean, that's really the extent of my international. But, but you've already crossed one whole ocean at that point. Okay, so that's like a new like, continent. Yeah. I, I have not true. even done book signings in London. Although I heard my book got translated to French, which I was going to get. Yeah, that so I could learn French. I was going to buy it just so I could learn French. 
Because then they're going to take Parisian French. Parisian French specifically. I have a couple of my books in French, and I can't read them, even though I took high school French. But I just feel more sophisticated, knowing my writing is also in French. Yeah. Yeah, like I think, well, I mean, in Canada, you get extra. The government likes you better if you, you know French. Yeah. Oui, oui. So it's a good idea if I learn French. You know, I'm in California, which is kind of like Canada, maybe, except the weather's better, right? I mean, it's our it's our progressive bastion of the United States. It really is. It really is. It really is. If I had to leave, like, Toronto and go back to the States, I, I would strongly consider Ca- California. Cali, yeah. You know, it works for Tupac. There you go. There, there you there go. go. So we're going to today, let's hold up the book again real fast, which we're going to try to get a copy in the library. We're going to beg Llewellyn if you're listening. Come on. Five years. Send us a book. Newcomers Send us a book. Send us a book. So we can have a library. Like we're building up our Greek library too. I mean, we've got a copy of the PGM. We've got multiple books on Hakate. We've, get, we've got a couple books on the, the hymns. And now we have a general yeah. guide guidebook on how to yeah. work with the various greek gods you know you want to send us a book that's the book that's missing it's the one you got to send us that's the books right there jason's book modern working with modern i think it's modern greek modern witchcraft, witchcraft with greek gods Greek gods. Yes. yeah so we're going to talk about the greek gods again of course I, I always start when we talk about these shows to say basically i almost never like working with the olympians and always work with the other side of the greek gods which is you know Nyx, Hecate, the Dark Gods, all the Tartar Space Gods. <laughs> I mean, some of them are in this book too. You know, they are. They are. We, we we cover. We tried to cover all the bases. So, what what convinced you to write a book about the Greek gods? I've had a love affair with the Greek gods since probably second grade. Back when I read my first book of Greek myths and was calling Persephone Persephone because I did not know how to pronounce any of those names, and I remember uttering my first prayer to Zeus in second grade. In ninth grade, I made, I made like a really awful Greek temple out of clay in art class because to Venus, to Aphrodite, because I wanted a girlfriend, you know, and I thought that would Wait, be the way. Wait, did it work? Yeah. Did it work? No, it didn't work. I really didn't know what the hell I was uh, doing magically, uh, you know. So it didn't really work, at least long term, you know. So, but it was still. Well, that means I mean, it did work short term. I mean, they were girlfriends periodically, but it wasn't, I never had that like big high school relationship, you know, that lasted for like a year or two, right? It was like maybe months, weeks, you know? I don't know. I was always never happy. It was probably, it was my own fault. I had some really nice girlfriends, but I was kind of just an idiot. So with age comes wisdom sometimes. Not much wisdom in my case, but a little bit. But anyways, a long love affair with the Greek gods. And I met Estrella Taylor at pagan spirit gathering in 2017 she co-wrote this book with me and we were just talking about her love of the greek gods and and apparently i said to her we should write a book about the greek gods together after knowing her for like 24 hours i was probably not sober and she remembered it and then we talked about it on and off for a couple years but we both had our own projects and then the pandemic hit so we had yeah it's almost like the god of wine who you have often served (laughs) came and blessed you with inspiration to say something that you might not normally say and then it became a reality 
Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Dionysus is always kind of there, looming in the background, finding us places to live, pushing forward with book ideas. But yeah, I mean, so the idea for this book has been around for like five time, or six yeah. years. Yeah. And then we started writing it in 2020, as I said, during the pandemic, which was, you know, something to do <laughs> when I couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. Did you find a process since you have some books that you wrote by yourself? You have this this book. Did you find a process of working with really someone you didn't know? Like, was it like a fruitful sort of relationship that you're like, yeah, this is pretty awesome to have a book partner? Yeah, but in a lot of ways, I felt really kind of siloed while we were writing. You know, it was going to write this part. You're going to write that part. And there's only one chapter where I think we really collaborated where you can find her words on my words in the same chapter. And I think it just says it's written by her because I just added a couple paragraphs here and there. So it really, it's a partnership in that I didn't have to do all the work. And there were things like we would kind of critique each other's chapters lightly, but not a whole lot, you know? So it was really not much different than some of the other books I've written. And I've worked, done three collaborative books so far. There was... The Witch's Altar with Laura Tempest Zakroff. And then mm -hmm. I did a book called The Witch's Book of Spellcraft with three members of my coven. And that was a completely different writing experience because they weren't professional writers. Estrella had written books before. Tempest had written books before. And in that case, it was more like they were just kind of giving me ideas in the Spellcraft book and I was turning them into, you know, a book. That's very interesting. I'd love to talk about that because it's like you have this relationship with a coven and you're writing spells. like. How did it go? Like, 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 how did the process go? And like, how did, did it strengthen your relationships? Did it kind of make things more interesting? Did it, did it just make you write down stuff that you otherwise were doing on the fly? You know, it was, it strengthened our relationships. Absolutely. But again, that was, that was, most of that was written in 2020 during right, the right. pandemic too. So it was also really frustrating because we had this idea of how we were going to write the book together. We were going to go into our ritual space I was going to watch them put together spells because that's, they're all three very good at doing spells. Matt Cavalli, Amanda Lynn, and my wife, Ari, were the other contributors. They're great spell write, like spell putter togethers. Not, I'm going to sit down and write a spell, but intuition's going to guide me and I'm going to do this thing. And I was just going to sit and watch them work. And because of the pandemic, we could never do that, right? Couldn't be inside at the same time. Got to do it once, but we also had like a bunch of wildfires in California at the same time. So like we couldn't open our windows in our houses and, you know, you couldn't do all kinds of things, right? You had COVID and then you had like no air that was breathable. So it was really frustrating, but it was nice to get people's ideas because I think there are so many different ideas about magic and I always try not to write in absolutes. So having three other opinions was really useful, right? Because then I could kind of incorporate their ideas with my own to have like sort of a bigger picture of how different witches do stuff magically very interesting very interesting i mean like no we'll keep talking i mean it's kind of funny because the pandemic has often been a topic of the show just sort of <laughs> yes. gravitate yeah. to and um yeah i mean like i still think people socially is are probably i mean still reeling like trying to act like it's back to normal but it's not yet like like so like there's a lot of kind of people Still trying to figure out those boundaries, the, not the boundaries, but getting those relationships back or reestablishing new ones. Exactly like what you're talking about. Like, it's a lot easier to do ritual in person than 
get on Zoom and try to do ritual. Yeah. You know, like we were writing the spells for this and eventually it ended up just kind of being like Google Docs and that sort of thing and Zoom calls. And it's just not the same as actually doing the spell with other people. And then when you're doing it with materials, instead of just writing your note, you can notice like everything that you're doing. Right. And if you're not a writer, sometimes it's hard to get all of the steps that you're actually doing down on a keyboard or writing it as a note. Like I would get spells from kids that were the kids. They're like not that much younger than me, but they are all younger than me. Like my collaborators. And I was like, yeah, but what about this step? Like, cause I know that you're doing something here and you're not writing that down and it has to be written down in a book. Right. So that I'd get these like little spell ideas and then I would have to Llewellynize them, you know, make them like bigger and, and meatier and longer and like really fully explained. And yeah, so you know, writing is a process and learning how to write books that tell people how to do something is a skill that takes a long time, I think, to, to really master. And if you're just trying it for the first time, there's going to be a lot of trial and a lot of, lot of error, <laughs> like so many errors. Probably, probably not so much error as in like what you're describing, right? Like it's not quite, it's not enough for somebody to understand how to do what you want to do. Cause so it's like it's like a first draft of the milestones for the ritual. Yeah. And then you have to actually write down the second draft is somebody has to come through and say, I'm a noob and I don't understand this part, this part, this part, this part, this part. There's a lot of omissions, I think. Maybe that's a good way to put it. Like, you know, a first time person right trying to write these things down. You know, you you're gonna just assume that there are steps that everybody knows, and that's usually not the case. If they right, do it, that, they probably will, yeah. they wouldn't buy the book. Yeah. So but yeah, it's great, though, that I've been able to work with other people now, though, you know, to have three books written with other people. Just you learn what people's processes are and they're, you know, can be very, very different. Laura Tempest Zakharoff had like the best process. I'm like like a like a really slow writer and I'm always like, worried that I'm never going to have a deadline on time or whatever. And it can take me like four or five hours to write a thousand words and two months before the books do. I'm like asking her, like, you know, how far along are you? And she's like, yeah. I'm getting ready to start, <laughs> you know. And then, All right, now, oh, I want, now, before we go into the Greek book, which we are going to talk about, I want to know what the process was here because how the – Oh, no, dude. Like, like, really? Like, how did that work? Because, like, I mean, I'm thinking if I had, like, two months, I mean, I, I just I just wrote, like, 80 pages article, and I was, like, had two months, and I'm, like – I almost cried every day because I'm like, I only got like a thousand words. So like to even start there, I'm kind of like, how did this work exactly? I mean, again, it was one of those where we just sort of divided up what we were going to write. So, I mean, I had six chapters to write. She had six chapters to write, but she writes fast. I mean, some people just can write quickly. And then really she does like all of the editing, like in the second phase. I like all of my sentences to be perfect when I hit the, you know, when I hit the period at the end. Right. And oh, she's yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoosh, whoosh, like that. And it works for her. She's a brilliant writer. Like some of her books, like her um, sigil magic book is the best book about sigil magic. Probably anyone will ever pick up. I mean, especially if you're a beginner and you want something that's accessible, but yeah, she's she writes really fast. And you know, that was fascinating to me because it was the exact opposite of me. You know, I'm like, you know, every, every couple of weeks, you know, I've got this many pages done and stuff. And she's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'll get there. So going back to the, the Greek gods book, 
Now, obviously, you know, Dionysus, who was your second favorite god or goddess to write about in the book? So I really went out of my way not to write the histories of the gods that I'm really super familiar with. So I didn't write the histories of Pan or Dionysus, the only goddess or deity at all that I was like super close to that I got to write the history part for was Aphrodite. So that was that was really fun. And I've done workshops on Aphrodite before, but this was a challenge because a lot of times those workshops, the sources I used for them were like really super academic and hard for people to follow. So now I had to write something that was a little bit more accessible and sort of, you know, which was sort of a 180 from how I was approaching her doing workshops. I love that. I'm not a big Hecate person, but I really loved writing about her in the book. That was one of my favorite chapters to write. There, there's just something about her history that's really fascinating because it's, you know, it's sort of off the like main, like main path, right? It's just a little bit different. And one of the things about it that I find really fascinating is if you read a lot of scholarly material, they don't talk a lot about Hecate. But if you read anything written by witches, it's, you know, there's volumes, right? So, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> there's a difficult to comprehend how much there actually is right now yeah and so i found that really fascinating like walter burkett's greek religion is sort of you know like the armchair historians like maybe first source and most of the in that book he's got like page profiles like you know five pages for each of the main olympians and my in major deities and there's like a, a hecate paragraph right i mean it's so different from how a lot of witches see her so that i really liked writing that and hermes i really liked writing the hermes stuff just because i think some of the hermes myths are amongst the funniest myths in greek mythology like when he steals apollo's cattle you know and he's like i'm just a baby i couldn't do that i think that shit is riotously funny i don't have the capacity still as a god even though i'm a baby and i'm i probably could steal as a god even though i'm a baby it is pretty yeah. funny it is yeah pretty yeah, and so, I don't think people realize how funny it is, though, especially if you like you have a little baby voice in your head, like, I'm a baby, I couldn't steal your cattle, you know, yeah. Right, I, I right, exactly, that. exactly. Yeah. It's not possible, and yet, here's the cattle got stolen. And I love the hubris, too, like when he give, he makes a sacrifice to the Olympians, and he makes 12 sacrifices, because he makes a sacrifice to himself. Because he's already including himself among that number. I'm like, that's that's badass shit right there. That's a yeah. boss move. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As a baby, right? I mean, that, you know. he's Yeah, he's a baby. I'm going to sacrifice to myself. It's cool. It's got yeah. Yeah. So, so, so those are favorites, yeah. So when you were writing this, like, did you do any sort of ceremonies to kind of get more, you know, round out the personal the research with some personal experience i mean obviously you have some experience with aphrodite clearly i mean i couldn't help but think i was working with them while i was writing about them you know i felt like they were invoke is a strong word but i felt like they were present when i was writing about them you know and, and i would pour libations out for them or you know light some incense for them or what whatever it is you know when you believe in the reality of the gods you know it's easier to write about them because you can kind of feel their presence right i mean it's not just an academic exercise it's to me a lot of this book felt like a devotional work right like the gods like were pushing me to write this book and 
you know, when I was writing about most of them, I could kind of feel them nearby. They're like towards the end, the the bits get smaller. <laughs> like there's, you know, so many gods and you can't write, you know, 15 pages on all of them. So like towards the end, when you're like writing paragraph descriptions of some of them, you know, maybe I didn't feel their presence as much, but certainly the Olympians, most of the Titans that we wrote about, you know, felt, yeah, you know, you just knew that they were nearby. And it didn't mean that, you know, we all of a sudden I was like running out and doing rituals for all of them, but, you know, I was doing like little mini things for most of them. That's very interesting. Like almost your, I mean, it wasn't quite a full on invocation, but yeah, like every single, most of them got libations and, and actually you were able to connect to the current. So we're, we're talking about stuff where uh, it probably, you know, it's going to come across in the writing because it's like now yeah. it's, it's not exactly just raw academic work. It's kind of cherry pick, not cherry picking, but you're picking which details based on that, the vibe too. One of the things writing the book though, like you worry about this a lot when you write about history. And this is probably my second book with a ton of history is you don't want to sound like you're not a believer because it's really easy. I think to do that when you're writing about history, because it feels like you're writing about these deities in the past, right? Like this is what happened in Athens. But one of the things I love about the Greek gods is the story is going on. It's it didn't end when the Roman Empire fell apart, right? It didn't it didn't end in the year 500 or whatever. There are new stories that are being told. Whether or not people like Percy Jackson is irrelevant to me. I don't think it would be like a successful series if the gods weren't a little at least a little bit happy with it because you know it's kind of a a new myth in its own way. You know, it's a new story and it brings people in. And I think, it, yeah, and I even think it read that in actual Greece, like they reopened a pagan temple recently, like an actual full on, like this is like they're readopting or reassimilating their religion officially, like not officially at the state level yet, but enough that it's recognized and there's there's legal temples there. So you're right. The sto those stories are ending or those it's actually, it's probably on an upswing everywhere right now. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But even if you go back 200 years ago, like, you know, Pan is probably my favorite god of all the gods. And, you know, he's figures prominently in the Horde God book. But, you know, there was this movement in England to write about Pan as the god of the English countryside, you know, 200 yeah. years ago. You know, that that's not really who he was to the ancient Greeks necessarily, because the, the English really sort of, rounded down the sharper edges of pan so you know he wasn't just chasing nymphs all the time but you know to me what is that other than like kind of a continuation of the story i mean it's you know again the gods just didn't stop being worshipped in 500 or being honored or being conceived of in ways you know and, and that pan is definitely an example of that and then you know hecate and her popularity in witchcraft circles today i mean that's a part of the story like the story just didn't end when the Roman Empire did, it's it's ongoing. When there's that much agency around a deity, there has to be a reason for it, right? And that's one of the things that I was really proud of in this book is that we talked about those modern things. Because if you read scholarly books on the gods, oftentimes they just sort of stop, right? I mean, they just kind of stop after Christianization. Or maybe they'll talk about how the gods were like viewed in some pieces of literature or whatever, or how they were portrayed in a couple of pieces of literature. But for me, it's like, you know, how did these gods continue to be a part of religious practice? I mean, Artemis as Diana, 
that's a part of a radio, right? And to me, a radio, the Charles Leland book is maybe the, the most important text of the entire modern witchcraft revival. And there she is in 1899, you know, making an appearance. It's different, certainly from how she was portrayed in Greek and Roman myth, but she's still there, right? Because, you know, these stories are ongoing. Right. And I think, I think what you brought up is interesting, a very interesting idea. And it's one that, well, chaos magicians get slammed on for a while now, but it's like, you know, Percy Jackson, like, why is this successful? Like, is the idea of Percy Jackson's Greek gods, the actual Greek gods? And you're clearly leaning towards a, yes, their hand is there, which if you know more about the Greek gods and the, how Bard used to tell the stories of the Greek gods, is probably that's probably closer to what they were doing. They would go into a tavern and spin a story it might have been mostly true and then someone else would tell the story and all of a sudden uh all of a sudden all these people are telling the story uh, and stuff like those movies we cheapen them but there very well could be something behind it like as in that's a modern sort of story on that touches the energies and kind of brings it forward i also think that we have this weird idea about greek mythology we have weird ideas about greek mythology i think because of things like Bullfinch's mythology and Edith Hamilton's yeah. mythology, that it is this very coherent story, you know, with a beginning. And this is how these gods were born. And this is what yeah, they did. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is it was all very messy. And there were lots of different myths. And they often contradicted themselves. Even the yeah, two they're... most important writers, Hesiod and Homer, contradict them, like contradict each other in matters of parentage and other things. So yeah, I mean... lots of stories. It's very difficult, actually, if you try to, to, well, I think this comes part from the Western mindset in general, but in general, if you try to actually make the Greek gods fit into this narrow, very ceremonial, like this is the way it is, and that's how the magic works, you realize there's stories that will contradict your convenient story that fits into a nice, nice, beautiful picture, and it all falls, the cosmology all falls apart, like, if you're that rigid, like, yeah. um, because there's multiple stories of how two things, maybe one God has five different parents, right? Different stories. And all five gods make cosmological sense to, to have their parents be different. Like it could, you could actually see why it could be maybe a grandson, or maybe it's this God that was their grandmother, or maybe it's this, but it could make sense. You could see where that concept could spawn from that. Um, and yeah, like that's kind of, I think you're right. People don't understand the idea. Well, they don't understand how the stories were told, I think. Like, there was two written down main accounts that you mentioned, mm. but there's probably hundreds of other local stories that people were just spinning all the time, telling tales of different different aspects of the gods. You know, and depending on what city-state you lived in, in ancient Greece, the like, certain gods were honored like As, in bigger yeah. ways in certain city states and in other city states, certain gods were barely honored at all. Like Ares, for instance, was not a particularly popular god throughout most of Greece. But in Thebes, he was super important to people in Thebes, but not so much in Athens or even Sparta. So it was really different. And then, you know, when you kind of throw in the Roman part too, then things also change. I mean, because Mars was after Jupiter was their most important god. And he was also an agricultural deity 
And we have always have this idea too, that the Roman and Greek deities are essentially the same. And the Roman deities kind of took the myths of the Greek deities, but in a lot of cases, they had very much, very, very different functions, you know, yeah. despite yeah. sharing those stories. And in a lot of cases, you have different government structure too, right? Which is like, you know, in Roman being far more centralized Yes, they have like city-state gods, but they're still sort of, you still have the movement towards a centralized set of beliefs, mm -hmm. like early on. And then it sort of historically see that a nice sort of growing bed for what wouldn't later be Christianity, because the attempt to centralize or uh, use religion as a centralized mm -hmm. unifying topic of the empire was an easy, easy switch over to Christianity later, which the Greeks didn't seem to exactly do. They didn't kind of standardize or agree from city-state to city-state on um, which god should be honored or, or any of it. Well, the one unifying force was, was Zeus, though. I mean, er, like, everything goes back to Zeus. There's The reason that Zeus is, you know, all of his illegitimate children are on Mount Olympus is you're coming into this area and they have this god and you have to get it to link up to Zeus, right? I mean, that's the fascinating thing about the Olympians. And yeah, Greek religion has all these contradictions, but at the the center of it though you know in the, in the you know classical era and all that was always zeus you know everything had to come back to zeus in some sort of way but it wasn't but you're right though it's not like rome though when they were almost like looking for like a monotheism right to keep everybody together or a shared set of beliefs right the Greek right just had zeus <laughs> and then zeus had Gosh, multiple oh. conflicting <laughs> stories that uh very conflicting and different personalities depending on who's telling the story very much <laughs> well one of the things too like writing the book which was really fascinating is sometimes how gods were worshipped was really different from how they were written about in myth and zeus is a really great example of that you know i remember having like oh god i have to write the history of zeus that's not going to be fun at all because there's zeus feels remote right i mean he he's, he's probably the god that has the most in common with like a monotheistic god and as yeah, yeah. you know, the leader of the gods, the one in charge of everything, come, there's this sternness to Zeus, right? Like you don't think of Zeus as, hey, let's let's go out and hang out and have fun. It's more like, I'm Zeus. I'm going to tell everybody what to do. I'm going to turn into a golden cloud and go have sex with somebody, right? And so not relatable. I mean, I can't turn into a golden cloud. But reading about <laughs> how people worshipped Zeus, though, like they called him things like friend, right? Like. People had these very deep and personal relationships with Zeus that most people that I know in the pagan world just, you know, don't have that type of relationship with a god like Zeus. It always tends to be, you know, one of the other Olympians or a Hecate or, or a Pan. And to me, that was fascinating, right? Mm. And it made me look at Zeus in an entirely different light. Hera is another one, too. Like, you read, you read the mythology of Hera. It's just Hera tormenting Zeus's illegitimate children, right? And you, you wouldn't think... Wow, like, you know, anybody would love Hera. And she was beloved. She was, you know, somebody that you wanted in your corner. She was somebody that, that one I'm that one I'm yeah, the mythology. There's some mythology when you actually read into it a little more from magical points of view. If you wanted a happy house or a wealthy house, yeah. you have to go to Hera. Like like and you have to get her favor to be happy and wealthy. So it's like in practical, like the mythology might make her look like that, but you're right. In in any sort of practical magic, like he, she who controls the home, it controls almost all of your happiness. Yeah. Like yes. I mean, I mean, in a way, like you know, even if you have a home with 
two gay guys if if you're allowing you know her to be the controller of the house the god who controls the house like yeah yeah i mean there's other goddesses that sort of also have a claim on that but seriously like Hera, like you know you're right well, when she's when most, she's in yeah. her positive side yeah when she's in her pause when you get to her positive aspect it's all about wealth and happiness like you can't really i can't really i mean maybe some people don't want to be wealthy or happy but guess but <laughs> i mean like Hercules, like Heracles, you don't think of him as liking Hera at all. But I mean, Hera is in the name Heracles, and Heracles means something like he who finds glory through Hera, right? I mean, some somewhere along the line, you know, everything like that original story got lost, and we have this other story of her being mean all the time. But you know, or it could be a reinterpretation of that story, like even the fact that when we know his name. Mm -hmm. If she okay. had not tormented him, right? Like, would we even know their name? Would he even be a hero right now if that didn't happen? Like, as in, like, like no labor, sort of do you get anything? right? Like, it's like the Jesus story. Do we know Jesus if the spirit does, of Longitis do, doesn't go in? Like, yeah, that's you know. we could have a long argument about that, but really, like, in a way, if you just approach that differently, you can see, like, do we really know this? this entity, this great hero, if the story wasn't set up. I mean, there has to be an antagonist and there has to be a protagonist, right? To have a great story. But they were also worshipped together at like at certain points and not nice. sort of in that antagonist protagonist right. way. But again, it's just fascinating to me, like sort of the differences and you go in with biases. You know, this is, I, did, I didn't have relationships with all the Greek gods before I started this book. Right. So, you know, some I knew more about than others. And when you're doing the research on Zeus and Hera and you find things out that you didn't know, you know, that, that's pretty it's pretty exciting. It's, it was really fun that, you know, it was one of the best parts of writing a book is that journey that you go on as a writer and the things that you learn while you're writing. Well, it's almost 650 or so. What do you have coming up besides Convocation being next week, which even though I'm not going this year, if you go to Convocation, it's a fun time. So you should go to Convocation in Detroit. I know. Seriously. I, I remember nights drinking Cuban rum with you at Convocation. Hey, go. Haitian. That's, 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 Usually I bring Haitian rum. Haitian rum. Yeah. It was, you know, kind of sad. You were like such a part of my experience there for so long. You know what? I mean, just convince them. You can tell them, get a bag. Mm -hmm. Just pay for his travel. I'll come next year, you know. Next year. I do. Exactly. Zach will come do some Asian rituals again. I mean, not, yep. you know, yep. that's well, what I he did. does. <laughs> that's what I do. Eventually, we'll get our Buddhist book done and then, like, have a weird Buddhist book and everyone in the pagan community be like, why did Andrea write a Buddhist book? Like, practical Buddhist magic? Like, what the hell is going on with Andrea? The hell is that? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I'm in East Chinatown with Zach in Toronto for a reason. Like, mm -hmm. that's why we're here. He's well, shut no, it down. Man, the story goes, you, you went up a mountain and whatever else from that point on. Yeah, well, we are on the fourth floor, so I guess that's We true. are on the fourth floor. But convocation like, is... Well, go ahead, Jason. That is like a mountain, the fourth floor, especially if you're taking the stairs. Oh, it, it is. Those are big. Those are long stairs coming up here. Yeah. That's why we got elevator, too. But, but convocation is a great party, and... It's not just a party. Like, there's lots of good classes there. Every you you could get something for everyone, really. Like, it's yeah. it's kind of crazy. Uh, you know, 
you have that one coming up. What yeah. classes are you going to teach there next week? I am doing a thing called Magic in Your Kitchen about thing, like magical stuff in your kitchen. Obviously, it's pretty self-explanatory. Look at the Horn God in modern witchcraft practices, most specifically Wiccan witchcraft and traditional witchcraft. I'm doing a ritual for the Witch Father, which is the sort of traditional witchcraft version of the Horn God. And then I'm doing a panel where I'm just going to say nonsense and drink whiskey for an hour. So that's that's going to be really fun. It's like not supposed to be serious. It's supposed to just be having a good time. Yeah. Right. And then, right. yeah. yeah. Then I'm the next weekend I go to Austin, Texas for Austin Witch Fest and Paganicon in Minneapolis, Minnesota over St. Patrick's Day weekend, March 17th through 19th. The following weekend, I'm in Boxborough, Massachusetts for the Magical Marketplace in, and Psychic Fair. Like, yeah, things are crazy. And then uh, April 7th through 9th, I'm going to the Spring Mysteries in Seattle, Washington, which is like nice. kind of a recreation of Elusis and stuff. So that'll be, that'll be fun. Moving up. Moving up. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So, Zach, what do we have coming up for the store? I think well, next weekend we decided to do a ritual, didn't we? We did. We're doing a Michael Archangel ritual to purify negativity next weekend. And then after that, we have either a ritual or a workshop happening every week. So after that, for the Michael, on the 4th, we have Pendulum Divination for Beginners. Then we have a Ganesh ritual with Andrea, and that continues all the way down. So if you're interested in that, we will be getting the descriptions up very shortly so you can take a look for our sponsors. But you have something every weekend. So how do they become a sponsor, Zach? They can go to Queen City Curio backslash membership, and they can check out the memberships there. And then once, depending on the membership they get, if they get the 10 sponsor, we will email you the link afterward for the back uh, three years of workshops and rituals we've done. So again, it goes queencitycurio.ca backslash pages backslash become a member. Right. And if people are wondering, for the people who are members watching and who listen to the podcast, which are more people who listen to podcasts, we're going to change that once we get back in live radio. I guarantee it. But thank you for being a sponsor. You keep help us keep the lights on. And all the sponsors also like help us build a library to have an actual public library of occult materials for Toronto. Right now we're about 1,500 books of actual occult library books, some of which it's are actually... Increasing. Increasing, yes, and some of those books are actually pretty rare, like, like yes. the Hyatt books and some other books that we have in the library. I mean, some of the books are obviously esoteric Buddhism books, but they're also pretty rare. You, they're like, pretty rare. We hunted for those. <laughs> there's rare voodoo books. There's like rare Barden books that you cannot find, rare editions. Like there's some rare books in our particular rare collection. Books. Yeah, yeah, rare Hercate books. Like, So it's not like it's just the easy to get books or the ones that authors give us. Although we really like it when we love you know, authors Llewellyn can give us a copy of, you know, show it again, show it again, Jason. Jason. There we go. Modern witchcraft with the Greek gods. Llewellyn, you can give us a copy of that. We can get it in the library. We kind of like that library, although not everyone can take books out. Anyone can come here anytime we're open and peruse the books at any time. Like we just let them go in there and kind of, just look at the book. But if you're a sponsor, you could check books out. Yep. So again, like we try to give a chance for people to check out the authors we have on the show. 
in a live in our live center as opposed to just necessarily buying the Amazon book, which you could do. You know, you should buy the author's books. But you know, if you want to check it out first, generally speaking, we try to get them. And if we know you're interested in something, like we know that the the patrons are interested in something, we go out and get books on that topic to kind of if there's a couple people interested. So we're very responsive to actually even, and we have a book budget in addition to the books that we get from everyone to kind of build up the library. So come by, that's the point. And if you're in the Toronto area and you're just visiting 607 Gerard Street, come here. If you want a divination or anything, we're open. We'll, we'll kind of, we can, can fit you in. Sweet 41402, we're on the fourth floor. That's right, that's right. And in case you're wondering, well, we don't, if you listen to the show, we don't have the wish shrine done yet. We do have the shrine to the ancestors done. And mm-hmm. as she has mentioned today, once again, there's multiple Hakate artifacts inside of it that you can kind of work with yep. to work with the dead at our kind of public death shrine. And believe it or not, like you wouldn't believe how many people just come up on our fourth floor just and they just, and, and they sit there, put some fruit there and meditate with their ancestors. So it's really, we're real serious about the community service mm-hmm. in Toronto. Like, we're setting up these altars. They are real. And if anyone has been at any of my rituals, they know that is, they're not weak. Like, as in, we worked on this for months to make sure we could have a public place for people to work, do ancestor work or work with the dead. And it's there. Like I said, the wish shrine is still being built, but there'll be a second wish shrine that no cost. You just come up here, meditate, do what you're going to do as part of the service to community. Um, you don't even have to tell us you're there. You don't have to buy anything. You just come up there, walk back there, and just do what you're going to do. There's instructions from a QR code, so everything's right there. People keep donating to the altars, and so like it really is a living community altar. Uh, people donated candles. People donated talismans for actually two of the gods that we talked about today were actually people have donated have donated talismans to be part of that altar process which is hecate and hermes obviously hermes being a psychopomp to the dead people donated like hermes actual artifacts they made for the altar and you can they they intended it for be used by the community so like really if you're here in toronto or if you're visiting stop by you know and if you need coffee or something we can just give you some coffee to give the dead or something you know so it's really kind of Thank you for that. And officially, I think, officially the second shrine, not the wish shrine, the second shrine has started and it's actually got a living God. We have the Buddha, the Sun Buddha. I forgot his exact name. What's the exact name, Zach? Denichi. Like, is the first entity appropriately the creator, the creator Buddha is there and it's in a, a public space near the elevator that's a public shrine and it's real really it's been through blessings extensive blessings so like if you need to connect to the buddhist spirits too it's here it's public just come out and take a look again you don't have to buy anything you can just sit there and kind of pray and you know get what you need and that's yeah we've already had people go to the buddhist altar and start doing prayers we've seen that right we've seen many people sit out there and do prayers and actually you know, come out looking pretty good. So, or come out looking better than when we saw them kind of walk to the elevator. So again, public shrines, we're make we're building them for you to actually kind of come here. Please do, please do. We hope to see everyone 
And like we always say, everyone have a, a great night. Stay safe and stay well. I know all my coworkers just got COVID this work week, even though we're all remote. So doubly stay well. Doubly <laughs> as, stay as well. well as Paul. And if you're at convocation, just ask them to, to come bug, you know, ask me to come next year and I'll I'll do it. All right. Check some bugging. Check I'll do some bugging for you. There, there we go. Thanks for coming on the show, Jason. Like if you have another book, which it seems like you're getting one every six months, we'd love to have you come back on. Yeah, it's gonna be a while before the next one. I'm have a I'm doing a long project right now, so there's I'm gonna have a year without a book coming out. It's quite weird <laughs> and kind of liberating. Kind of liberating, nice. Yeah. So also last thing, July first starts the Goisha immersion class, as in we will summon every one of the Goisha every two weeks in order with also doing every one of the Shem Forest sure. every two weeks. Hardcore. Like, <laughs> right. Every two weeks with a, a like packet for each and every spirit that we're going to put together. It doesn't get better than that. And yes, we'll have a public Semaphorish altar and Goisha altar that we will set up after we're the three-year period when we've gone through and summoned oh, and blessed oh, and oh, consecrated oh, every single seal. Yes, there will be we will have a public space where you can use our seals if you would like to get down with some of these spirits or names of God. So there you go. Fun times. And with that, fun times. And with that, we're going to let, we'll see everyone next week. Hang on a second, Jason, and we'll kind of let us take it on out. Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole is sponsored by the Queen City Curio and Apothecary in Toronto, Ontario, proudly in East Chinatown. Our store is at 607 Gerard Street East, Unit 401. Just take the elevator up to the fourth floor and we're right there. We carry the finest spiritual goods for all spiritual paths. Whatever you are into, we can help. Check out our full public library of occult materials with over a thousand books. Accessible anytime the store is open. Check us out online at queencitycurio.ca. Be sure to leave a wish at our wish shrine right outside our door. You never know, it may just come to pass.